South Point family and friends and guests and those watching online. Really good to have you, especially if it's your first time. I know it's kind of risky going to a place where you're not sure what the people are going to be like, if you'll fit in or not, but we hope that you find this a welcoming place with people who maybe are like you and some who are not like you, and that's a good thing, you know, because we, I think we all find it a little bit difficult to cross those cultural and ethnic lines. We, we rarely do that intentionally unless it's to get food, you know, like... I have to admit, in the past few weeks, I have been to uh, restaurants, Italian, Mexican, Mediterranean, Indian, Brazilian, Thai, Chinese, Japanese. I'm just multicultural like that. I just, just have no problem crossing those boundaries. But the, the culture that I am used to, that I grew up in, was pretty monocultural. I mean, the schools that I attended, the neighborhoods I lived in, the churches I've been involved with, pretty much are filled with people who look and speak like I do. Now, it's true, I did marry cross-culturally. My wife is half Mexican, but truth be known, I, I think like I'm more Hispanic than she is because I love all that Mexican food, and, and, and I like to speak Spanish a little bit. But look, here we know there are boundaries all around us that we, we find difficult to cross. Even our neighborhoods can be boundaries. There's Hispanic neighborhoods and black neighborhoods and white neighborhoods and Middle Eastern neighborhoods. You know how it is, and we hear a lot about how racist America is, but truth be known, America has, uh, has progressed a lot just during my lifetime. I mean, my, my wife's parents, when they were married in 1959, this interracial marriage was viewed very negatively and, and invited a whole lot of bigotry that you really don't see today. In fact, uh, I saw a poll that was taken in 1958 that showed only 4% of people back then approved of black-white marriages. In fact, it was still illegal in 16 states until 1967. But more recently, up in about 2016, another poll was taken that showed that 87% approve of black-white marriages. So that's, that's a lot of change and a lot of progress. And the truth is, too, that uh, this isn't just an American thing. In fact, America is one of the most ethnically diverse, multicultural melting pots you'll find anywhere in the world, there are far more nations and societies that are monocultural and more discriminatory. So it's not an American thing, it's not a white thing, it's not a black thing, it's not a Hispanic thing, it's a human thing, isn't it? We all can be prejudiced. But they say that the, the place where you may see it most is Sunday mornings, that churches uh, demonstrate a segregation that, that you see, you don't see the rest of the week. And certainly in times past, that was probably a more purposeful kind of thing, but even today sometimes it, uh, it still happens maybe a little bit more subtle and subconscious, but uh, it, it still goes on. But I got to say, I think for the vast majority of churches, it's not something intentional. I think it's just a reflection of the kind of communities we live in because people tend to congregate with other people who are like them socially, ethnically. We're just more comfortable that way not saying that's the way it ought to be it's not prescriptive it's just descriptive of the way it is and it's nothing new we've been dealing with this in the church going on 2,000 years now going back to the very beginning of the church Jesus told his disciples to go into all nations to all peoples and ethnicities remember this Mark 16 15 we've been reading it out loud together let's do it again he says go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. All right, that's everybody. So this week, in, in week two of our series, Good News for All, 
We've been seeing that the gospel, the good news, that Jesus died for our sins so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be reconciled and made right before God, and then he rose from the dead to give us eternal life. This all comes as a gift of grace that we receive by faith. That's the good news that is meant for everybody. But we've been seeing in the book of Acts, the the story of the first Christians, how it took them a while to catch on to this. To, to go beyond their kind of provincial small community of Jewish people in Jerusalem and, and the Holy Land of Israel and move beyond to get the message to everybody. And so our big idea today is to cross cultural boundaries to share the message with other people, with the message of the cross. we got to cross those boundaries to share the cross with people. Because if you had gone back and visited one of those first churches in the first few years, you would have just assumed it was another branch or sect of Judaism because all the Christians were Jewish and many of them were still practicing their Jewish faith. They were still keeping the Sabbath day. They were still uh, eating kosher, uh, following a lot of the traditions and rituals of Judaism. Uh, they, they found it very difficult to break away from that because they maintained, for I mean, millennia, they had maintained this exclusive identity as the chosen people of God who are supposed to be distinct from the rest of the world. Everybody else, the Gentiles, were not acceptable. They were unclean. Remember, they were not kosher before God. And if you want to catch up and see that first message from last week, go on our website, watch it there, listen to the podcast. But today, if you're carrying, we're going to be in Acts chapter 10. You can look it up online or use your Bible app. We give you a free New Testament out in the lobby if you don't have one at the VIP guest area or at Info Central. But uh, here in, in chapter 10, we're going to be picking up in verse 34. Last week we saw how God arranged this divine appointment between the Apostle Peter, who was still just fellowshipping with fellow Jewish Christians, and this Roman military officer named Cornelius, uh, who was following the God of the Jews, of Israel. He was a good man, charitable man, but he didn't know he needed Jesus because nobody told him. So he is now going to become the very first Gentile convert to Christianity. He's gathered all his family and friends in his home. He's ready for Peter to speak. So we pick back up in verse 34. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. All right, so to fear God is to honor him and to obey him. It's to reverence him. And so that's what God is concerned about. Not all the outward circumstances of your race and skin color and social ranking, your family and wealth. Those are all matters of favoritism. And God doesn't play favorites because he made us all. We all share the same creator God. We all share the same ancient ancestors. We're all brothers from another mother, sisters of another mister. We're all his family. But he did single out and choose the Jewish people to be his chosen people. Not because they were deserving or superior, uh, but then again, neither were they any less than anybody else. They weren't any inferior. And so of all people, Christians should not be anti-Semitic or racist in any way because we see that we all came from the same God. No, the church stands on the shoulders of the Hebrew nation. 
God simply chose them to be the vehicle through whom he would send his son, the Messiah, into the world. In fact, when Jesus came, his primary mission was to his fellow Jews, to the chosen people. But he also said it was for the Gentiles. And some of his most amazing encounters with people of faith were not with Jewish people, but were with Gentiles. See, because just being born an Israelite never really made you fully Jewish. It's really only those who honor God and obey his laws, his covenant, those are the ones who truly are Jewish at heart, no matter what their nationality or ethnicity was. Uh, they are the true Israel. And the same is true today. God doesn't have a quota system. He doesn't discriminate one way or the other on any factors you can't control. All he is concerned about is with your belief and with your behaviors. Do you have a heart for God? That's all he cares about. Because the truth is, none of us are deserving. We're all sinners. We're all in the same boat. None of us have merited anything except condemnation. And that's why Jesus came, to be the Savior of all, to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And so he took the curse for us that we deserved on the cross, and we receive his blessings by grace, nothing we can do to earn those things. And that's what the gospel is. It's a message of grace. And that's what Peter's about ready to share with Cornelius and the other Gentiles there. He says, you know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of who? All. You know what has happened throughout the province, provinces of Judea? beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached in John the Baptist, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We're witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He wasn't seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him. That who? That everyone who believes in him, receives forgiveness of sins, I love, through his name. So he is Lord of all. He's not just the Jewish Messiah. He's not just for Israel. God loves the whole world and sent his son for everybody. And that's why we're told to go to all these different nations and spread the gospel of peace. Because not only is it a peace with God, you know, because your sins have made you his enemy. He's reconciled you to God and you have peace of soul. But you can have peace with other people too. His peace flows out of you. And the Apostle Paul describes it like this in Ephesians chapter 2. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people. When in his own body on the cross, he broke down that wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law religion, rules, traditions, with his commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from two groups. So in Christ, 
There is no longer Jew or Gentile. It doesn't matter. We are one. And so how can a Christian, of all people, ever justify being racist or being xenophobic? You know, not, not wanting anything to do with people who are different or who are foreigners. And listen, I'm not talking about political things, political nationalism or globalism or multiculturalism. I'm just talking about seeing people as people, as individuals, seeing every single person with the eyes of God, without favoritism, as not part of some group, without stereotyping them, without prejudging them. So as Peter's telling this to Cornelius and the other um, Gentiles, you know, he's probably still wondering, should I really be doing this? Am I, after all these centuries, am I really supposed to tell these Gentiles that they can become a part of the chosen people, that they can be baptized and become Christians as well. And that question gets unarguably answered by what happens next in verses 44 to 48. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. And the circumcised believers, that's the Jewish Christians, who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues, languages, and praising God. Then Peter said, well, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked Peter to stay with them a few days. This was amazing. Now, there is absolutely no doubt now because this was the same kind of incredible miraculous event that had happened a few years earlier in Acts chapter 2 when the church first began and 3,000 Jewish people became Christians. Uh, remember, they were gathered in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. And Peter... And the other apostles got up and spoke to them in these other languages, these tongues that the Holy Spirit had given them. Why? So that the people gathered from all over those nations and regions could hear them in their own language. So they could understand this message. But it wasn't only to communicate, it was to give evidence, supernatural proof that this message was from God. Jesus had earlier given the keys of the kingdom to Peter. And on that day of Pentecost, Peter gets to use the keys, opens the door to the kingdom for all these Jewish people to enter in, and 3,000 are baptized. And now here we are, finally, a few years down the road, Peter gets to use the keys of the kingdom again and open the door to the Gentiles so they can enter into the kingdom too. And the evidence is that the Holy Spirit fell on the Gentiles just like he did on those Jewish apostles. So this is like Gentile Pentecost Day. And Peter needs that kind of evidence, not only for himself, but to convince all those Jewish Christians that this was approved by God. So we gotta pick back up here in chapter 11 where we see him repeat the story of what happened from last week. Verse one, the apostles and the believers throughout Judea, these Jewish Christians, heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers, the Jewish Christians, criticized him. And they said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men, Gentiles, and you ate with them. This is still a shocking thing because you don't fellowship with Gentiles. They're not God's people. But starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. 
like I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheep being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was, and I, I looked into it, and I saw four-footed animals of the earth and wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. And then I heard a voice telling me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. And I replied, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. Now remember, we talked about this last week, that certain animals under Jewish law were not kosher. They weren't acceptable to God. You weren't supposed to sacrifice them or eat them. But Jesus has come along, and he's given us a new covenant. We're no longer under those regulations anymore. So for Christians, it's okay to eat all the pulled pork and bacon and shellfish and frog legs you want to eat. Now, I'm not quite ready to go the distance and eat camel drumsticks or iguana burritos but if you want to that's fine and look if you're vegan or vegetarian you're doing that for health reasons more power to you that's fine but there's absolutely nothing wrong with killing animals to eat them for food that is God approved so you are no more moral or spiritual if you eat meat or if you don't, because really this isn't about animals. This is more than, than just dietary laws. This is God changing our whole worldview to say all people are acceptable to God. There are no non-kosher people. Verse 9 says, The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And this happened three times, and then it was all pulled up to heaven again. Peter says, Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea, stopped at the house where I was staying. And the Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring a, a, you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Okay, there's the proof. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. Remember John the Baptist, he baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So look, if God gave them the same gift as he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is I to think that I should stand in God's way? Peter points out, look, if God did it for the Gentiles, like he did it for us Jews at the beginning, then how can I not invite them into the church to be the chosen people of God today, to be the new Israel, the true Israel? But here's the difference. This time, instead of how the Holy Spirit fell on the, the apostles who were speaking the message, this time the Spirit falls on those who are hearing the message. So they had not even received Christ yet, which was the whole point. This is something unique. This is an out-of-the-ordinary experience. It's not normal, and we shouldn't expect it to be repeated. There are only two times that it's ever called the baptism of the Spirit. In Acts 2, when it happened with the Jews, and now, finally, in Acts 10, when it happens with the Gentiles. This is a one-of-a-kind kind of outpouring. All right, the normal way for us to receive the Spirit is to be baptized in water. That's what's commanded us in Acts chapter 2. When we're baptized for forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Not the gifts. That's not necessarily when you receive a gift like tongues or teaching or administration or mercy or any of the others. But the gift himself, the Spirit living in you to help you live for Christ. Baptism and the Holy Spirit go together so often. I mean, they are a unique experience where Jesus says in John 3, 5, says, No one can enter the kingdom of God. Unless he is born of what? Water 
and the Spirit. So there it is, being born again. You can't be born again unless you're born of water and the Spirit. And that's exactly where Peter goes with this. He sees the Holy Spirit, and he goes, all right, let's get him in some water. Right now, on the spot. Let's not wait. Let's not delay it. It's not a part of joining a church. It's an immediate response to receiving Christ. Because Paul later writes, the apostle says, Titus 3, 5, He, God, saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. See that? How they go together? And what, what some people will do now at this passage will say, well, look, this, th- that shows that Cornelius shows you don't have to be baptized. You don't have to, to, to go into water in order to receive the Spirit. But they're missing the point. The point was this was a unique thing that we shouldn't expect to be repeated. Tongues were this miraculous gift as well. And that's not the sign that your spirit filled. Some people say you don't, you don't have the spirit unless you speak in tongues. No, no, no. That was just one of many different gifts. And Scripture says not everybody spoke in tongues in these other languages. In fact, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13, we are all baptized by one spirit so as to form this one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we're all given the one spirit to drink. And still, those Jewish Christians criticized Peter for taking the gospel to the Gentiles. Because he had crossed that barrier. He had crossed that boundary that, that Jews weren't supposed to cross. It's really difficult, isn't it, to make that transition from shunning Gentiles to dining with them. And we still have that same trouble today, crossing those kinds of boundaries and barriers to fellowship with people who are different from us, with, with people who are supposed to be brothers. But see, the bond that we share in Christ transcends all those outward, natural, worldly distinctions. Because God isn't white, and God isn't black, and God isn't Hispanic. We don't, we don't know what Jesus looked like. I mean, he probably looked like all the other Semitic, Middle Eastern, olive-skinned men of that time, but who cares? It doesn't matter. Because I have far more in common with a black brother in Nigeria than I do with a white neighbor who's not a believer. We share a bond that's going to last forever. I'm part of an eternal kingdom with my Indian sisters than I am with fellow Americans who aren't Christians. You see, I'm, I'm, I, I share an eternal inheritance with uh, Spanish-speaking brothers more than I do with English-speaking, irreligious friends. I, I have a bond with believers all over the world that's going to last forever. And so we go back to Acts 11, verse 18, and it says, when they, these Jewish Christians, heard this, they had no further objections, and they praised God, saying, so then, even to Gentiles, God has granted, I love this, repentance that leads to life. A major breakthrough here. This is a hinge point of history because the key to the kingdom opened the doors to all people. And I would imagine most of us here are from a Gentile background. Aren't you glad that the door was opened to all of us, that Jesus isn't just a Jewish Messiah, but he is Lord of all. He's our Savior. And that's why we got to go to all people, 
all nations, all ethnicities. The gospel spread. Finally, it started spreading outside of the Holy Land, across the Roman Empire, across Europe, across Africa, across Asia, into the New World, North America, South America. And God willing, if one day, if, if Jesus hasn't come back yet, we're going to take the gospel to all the people living on Mars at some point, right? Wherever people are, they need Jesus. So here's our evangelistic strategy. The more similar we are to people, the more effective we will be. That's not the way it ought to be. It's just the way it is. And so we have to be mindful of that and adapt ourselves so that we can share the gospel with people who are different. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, I've made myself a slave to everyone. Why? To win as many as possible. So to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law, to those not having the law, Gentiles, I became like one not having the law. Though I'm not free from God's law, I'm under Christ's law. Why? So as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak. To win the weak, I become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. So he says, cross cultural boundaries to share the message of the cross. Yes, we're here to win downriver, but we're actually here to win the world. And the question is, will you cross those boundaries to share the good news with people who are different from you, people with accents, people who may wear strange clothes, people who have different religions or political positions or moral values? Will we go to all people? Because, folks, we are part of a family, a transnational, transracial, transcultural, eternal kingdom. One day we're all going to be gathered around the throne, people from every tribe, nation, and tongue. And so may God's church begin to reflect that more here and now. Now that leads us into this celebration of generosity where we're celebrating the good work of the missions that we support. This is the third year in a row that we're doing this. That I'm encouraging you to pray and to invest generously in the work of God around the world. Uh, to give more than you normally do starting tomorrow. Whatever is given online, all the way up through whatever is given next weekend here, we're giving it all away. Every dollar is going to go to these missions. And I hope it'll be far more than what we usually give, double what we give, triple what we give. What, you did great last year, but we can do even better this year. And I want to remind you, we group our missions into three major categories here. First is church planting. Last week we looked at starting new churches in the Great Lakes region and in Canada. There's compassion outreach. We're going to talk about that today. And then next week we'll talk about global evangelism, sending out ministers and missionaries to different parts of the world. But today we're going to focus on compassion outreach through IDES and Go Impact 360. These are two missions that meet physical, material needs in the hopes of meeting people's eternal needs with the gospel. So International Disaster Emergency Services, that's IDES, they exist to meet these physical needs, these spiritual needs throughout the world in the name of Christ. I'll give you some examples. Uh, last year, they put together over a million bags of food to distribute in various places, including Haiti and others. They responded to the terrible flooding in Kenya and Uganda. They caused all kinds of destruction and death. They were involved in tornado response just down the road in Dayton, Ohio. Uh, after the hurricane in the Bahamas, IDES was 
stepping in to help prep multiple containers with supplies, and they're sending volunteer teams to go down there to help with rebuilding efforts. Already this year, they've been helping in Puerto Rico after the earthquakes. Remember that? All the aftershocks there sent over 7,000 people out of their homes into the streets to live in uh, makeshift shelters and in their cars. Well, IDE's partnered to bring temporary housing and bedding and flashlights and bug spray and batteries. And, and they partnered uh, with people who are working day and night to bring food and water and shelter to, uh, to uh, people who have uh, fled. Evacuees in the Philippines from that terrible volcano eruption there. Uh, and, and now you know, of course, the, the big coronavirus thing, you know, virus is spreading. IDES is on the ground in many places providing uh, masks and gloves and gowns to help prevent its further spread. So real quick, just want you to check out a little bit of what they do. Every year, natural disasters affect close to 218 million people worldwide. At the International Disaster Emergency Service, we strive to meet the physical and spiritual needs of suffering people throughout the world in the name of Jesus Christ. For over 45 years, IDES has partnered with local churches in the U.S. and mission workers in more than 115 countries during times of crisis. We have been serving around the world in the five focus areas of evangelism, disaster response, hunger relief, development and sustainability, and medical care. We also create opportunities for you to make a difference. Through our GAP food packing program, shed building for those who like to work with their hands, or maybe the harvest of talents if you're the more creative type. We hope you'll join us in providing help and hope for a hurting world awesome, awesome uh, ministry that we've been a part of for many, many, many years. The other one that we support is actually a ministry that we spun off from this church. It's called Go Impact 360. Uh, we, we turned it into its own nonprofit charitable organization that now partners with other churches and organizations to meet needs and make a difference in three main locations, in Downriver, in Detroit, and in Romania. And so we, we want you to see uh, a few of the areas that we've been helping out in through Go Impact. Watch this. But a long ways left to go I've been doing my part But I ain't got much to show So I'm asking you to show me some forgiveness It's all for you in my pursuit of happiness Chasing that life moving on Cause I had to prove
Mark Essek and uh, the board of directors, which are all from South Point, have been doing a great job. Maybe you saw yourself in that video as well, so thank you for making that happen. So three ways that you can be a part of that. Number one, you can like Going Pack 360 on Facebook or follow them on Instagram, help get the word out. Secondly, you can visit the website, goingpack360.com. Look for ways to serve this year. And third, you might just go to Romania. Why not? Pick up and head this summer out to Romania. Uh, we're putting together a team of 10 to 15 people who are going to go to this impoverished area of southern Romania, and you can help out with uh, orphanage work there, we'll partner with a church there, put on these amazing kid camps, deliver groceries to, to needy families. The dates for that is July 24 through August 3rd. And if you want to know more, go on the website there, check it out, or you can text uh, Row Team 20 to 81010 to get all the info, okay? So whatever way you get involved, through prayer, through generous giving, you share in this. You have a part in helping to share the good news with the world. So I hope you're going to be back for next weekend, the final, the third weekend, and our Celebrate Generosity that you'll be praying and you'll be prepared starting tomorrow to, to give your very best to God's cause in this world. So let's pray about that. Father, thank you that we get to partner with you in this, this most important work, the changing lives forever. God, thank you that, that uh, you, you reached out to us, you sent somebody to us, and we pray that we would begin to see people with your eyes and we love them with your heart, Lord, that help our church to show more unity through and in diversity, God. Because we know, look, no, nothing in this world is going to be able to change human prejudices and inclinations and, and the fears except for your grace. So may your Holy Spirit make us bold so we'll cross boundaries and that you would make us all missionaries, God. Raise up more people to take your good news around the world. Bless and supply the work of IDES and of Go Impact 360, God, and enable us next week, this whole week, to be generous. We pray in Jesus' name.